Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. A big Saturday morning welcome to you from our Barangaroo studios. This is a special edition of The Call. We thought it was well worth it this week, didn't yeah, we? Yeah, absolutely. After such a tumultuous week on the share market and um, a lot of investors and a lot of our viewers have been sort of involved in investors' remorse, I, I think, over the last couple of weeks after seeing they, those lows in March, thinking, why didn't I buy some good quality Australian stocks when I could, when they were undervalued, when the market was in um, a, a bit of panic. Now, after this week, are we seeing a realignment of psychology on markets, as we spoke about in the last half hour, that we could start testing those lows? Is this the start of a correction that almost gives us a second chance to load up on some quality, underlying quality stocks for a portfolio at reasonable value. So stick with us over the next hour or so. We will be speaking with nine of our regular guests and they will be sharing stocks they're looking at now and uh, potentially telling us when could be an entry point and how long you'd like to hold them for mm. and everything else besides. So it'll be a bit of fun. Yep. And uh, very informative <laughs> as well, if I do say so myself. Let's not uh, drag it out any longer, shall we? Let's get right to it. We've got Mark Moreland. He is standing by from Team Invest. Mark, welcome to the program. Listen, I know you guys at Team Invest, when you see down days on the market, think, hey, there's a sale on. There's a sale in town. Just give me your thoughts on that uh, sell-off that we saw Wednesday, Thursday, or I should say Thursday, Friday here in Australia. Yeah, good morning, Nadine and Koshi. Um, happy to be here. Um, yes, it was an interesting week. Uh, prices came down a bit. Um, from um, our perspective, it wasn't that exciting. I mean, I'd like to see the prices come down more <laughs> at, at the moment. So it didn't cause me to rush out and buy anything. Uh, I did buy a few in March. Uh, not enough. My mistake in March was I, I put my toe in the water and only bought small quantities. And all the ones I bought are all up at least 100% since March and uh, one of them's up to nearly 200%. Uh, as I said, the mistake was I didn't put enough in. I was, mm. too, I was too tentative with hindsight. And the reason I was tentative is I thought, maybe the market will go lower. Uh, and that's a, an old a trap that investors fall into because you can't pick the bottom. We only know where the bottoms are with hindsight when we look back and say, you know, where was it? And you can see it. Yeah. So you can't predict it. So the smart way to do it is to work out what is a bargain price for a company? And this is, I'm talking from an investor's perspective. Uh, we work on a rolling five-year uh, time frame because we want to have, give the company time to give us a decent compound return. And when, when something's clearly a bargain on a company you understand, you should take a significant amount, particularly if it's a screaming bargain. Yeah. Um, Buffett says they don't come around very often. And when they do, uh, and if you're certain you can't lose your money, and that's a key uh, condition, you say, well, uh, it's a screaming bargain, you know, back up the truck. Yeah. Um, Mark, uh, uh, we talked to quite a few people out of the United States in the last half hour who, who were basically saying, don't be blinded by the fact that the market in the US rose 400 points overnight. 
It was a wild, wild, volatile night. And they're seeing a change in psychology amongst US investors that bad economic news and bad health news is starting now to sink in. They're seeing a change and they're, they think that this volatility and the downward trend of the share market in the US um, could be about to set in for a while, that maybe could test those, those March lows again. I think there's an absolute possibility. In fact, um, the way I'm positioned, I have more cash at the moment as a percentage of my portfolio than I've ever had in my investing career. So wow. I'm, I'm actually- What percentage I'm actually have you got? On, what percentage in cash have you got? 60%. Wow. Yeah, so that's very high. And I'm much higher than the average team investment, by the way. Powered my partners at about 8% at the moment. So, <laughs> so that doesn't mean this is the team invest view. Uh, I just believe uh, that uh, we uh, haven't had the economic impact. And I think there's a complete dislocation between the market and where we are economically. So uh, I'm expecting it to go down. If, whether we test the March lows or not is a bit academic for me. I'm not, I, I have uh, currently orders in on 11, 11 companies that I want to buy at, at, a ca at cascading prices going down. So oh. I'm basically, or I, put all, I put orders in at what I think is a bargain and then going down from that. So. So it, basically, I'll capture it as it goes down, uh, is my hope. Now, if it doesn't go down, I'm going to miss out because I will have missed out the uh, the rises and I off okay. cash, which is zero. All right. Give us a couple of those 11 that you're getting set for. Give us two. Uh, I've got uh, orders in for CSL and Fisher and & Parker, for instance. Healthcare. Right. So they're both very expensive at the moment. Now, uh, what what the way the markets work, of course, if, if you have a an overall fright and the whole market goes down, then the really high grade quality companies like CSL and Fisher and Piker will come down as well. Um, uh, obviously, it's easier to get bigger drops in retail and travel and other areas where there's a specific coronavirus effect on their business and earnings going forward. Um, but, I, but I've got a combination of smaller caps plus some quality uh, you know, tier one companies, if you like, that I would like to buy if I could get them cheaply enough. Okay, so, so for CSL, I'd like to buy at two hundred dollars. Now we're, it's a long way away from two hundred dollars at the moment, but if we have a if we have a thirty percent drop in the market and the whole right, okay. Um, so just just going back to that sort of narrative about the reopening of the economy. So we've seen some of these travel-related stocks being beaten up in the past few days. Uh, do you see yeah. value in any of? those names? I mean, is that where you're looking in sort of the smaller end away from those really uh, yeah, high travel, quality expensive stocks? Yeah, no, travel definitely. We had uh, we actually had Screw Turner on for an hour uh, Q&A uh, yesterday with members and we had um, uh, uh, Corporate Travel uh, last week, uh, CEO as well. So we, we're trying to get a good understanding of how they see it. And we think there is good value there, although not right now. I mean, if you look at Flight Center, it went down when they did their capital raising, it was at $7.20. Um, a lot of our members took advantage of that. Uh, at that sort of price, I think it was a screaming bargain on a five-year view because this is a – both those companies, by the way, Corporate Travel and Flight Centre are top 10 travel providers globally. So they're, they're very, very successful businesses. Having said that, Flight Centre has done virtually a 50% uh, capital raising dilution. So there's now no risk to the business. They, they raised over $700 million and they've got plenty of cash now. Uh, Screw told us that uh, he thinks it could take two to – three, maybe even four to five years for the travel market to get back to where it was. Uh, now that's pretty sobering, uh, but the way you got to look at these businesses is firstly, we can say uh, in both cases, uh, they won't go broke. A cap corporate travel raised, didn't need to raise capital at all. 
We just uh, changed uh, some of those loan facilities without nothing excessive. Uh, Flight Centre has always had a very conservative balance sheet and basically never had debt. Um, and they went for equity rather than piling on a heap of debt. They've reduced their overheads by 65%. They were closing 50% of their retail uh, footprint, uh, in Australia particularly. And about 60% of their business is based on domestic travel within the countries they operate in, which mm. I think is 23 companies, countries now, Flight Centre operated. So as, as domestic travel comes back, their earnings will pick up straight away. Now, the question is, how long is it going to take for their earnings to get back to anything resembling what they were before? Then maybe they won't. But if you can buy it well enough, it doesn't matter. Yeah. You know, so uh, now currently flight centers, uh, I think yesterday it was, uh, what did you close at? About seventeen, uh, $14. 1430. Uh, I wouldn't buy it at $14, but sort of under 10. Now, will, will it go back to its low, the absolute low, which was 720 on the capital raising? I think there's very little chance of that happening unless the market really freaks out overall. That's possible then. They won't on their own merit because the risks have been taken out and we have a lot more information now. We know what's going on. So they, they're going to come out of this as a growth business. So they're going to be very lean. Uh, obviously, they kept, kept all their best staff, all the best locations. Uh, Screw said he thought they'd get back to 70% uh, revenue base, even though they've taken 65% of their overheads off. So if you think about that, it means yeah. their profitability will be better once we're flying. Yeah, you know, absolutely. So the question now is you have to wait for that. So yeah. uh, I'm looking at it on, on a five-year horizon, and I think both of those companies are going to do really well. He also said that he expects, as they come out of this, that corporate travel will be over, will be at least 50% of their business, and and probably heading towards 60 plus. Um, mm. So why is that? Because it's actually um, a much better business for them, and there's a lot more growth potential, particularly in the US. So yeah. he's uh, certainly taken he's taken the chance to re-engineer the business, so it's going to come out very different, and as you say, yeah. uh, a leaner, hopefully profit-making machine. Mark Morlin, really appreciate your time on Saturday morning. Oh, thank you very much. Okay, okay, bye. See you, Mark. Well, next bye, up, bye. we've got uh, Kim Slater. He's joining us from Kimber Capital. Kim, welcome to this special Saturday morning edition of The Call. <clears throat> Excuse me. We know that the market is a forward-looking machine, um, but do you think that there is a reckoning coming when it comes to the economic fundamentals and uh, the size and the scope of the rally that we've seen? The short answer to that is yes, um, because the market's certainly been running ahead of where the real economy is. And uh, what we're seeing is probably the, the leg of what we call the W. We've seen, the, we've seen the bounce back now. We're seeing the correction. And uh, we need, need the market to find a, to find a bottom before it, uh, before it turns back. So we're probably in for another uh, maybe 3 or 4% over the, next, over the next week before the market starts to find a base from which it can work. But um, never, nevertheless, look, it's um, a difficult thing to pick the bottom of the market. And uh, we always say it's uh, you know, time in the market, not timing of the market, which is the most important thing. Yeah. Um, Kim, are there particular stocks that, that you have in your focus that if there is a, a continuation of this correction, um, that stocks that you would be looking to, to pick up at the, as that correction comes through? If you like a, a second chance correction for all of those <laughs> who, who missed the March, March crash and were too scared to pick stuff up? Well, last time we were talking, um, I, was, I, I, I was focusing again on uh, the resource stocks, BHP and Fortescue, and we haven't really changed our, our thoughts our thoughts on either of those two stocks because 
they both offer excellent dividend yields at the moment. And um, I think last time we were talking when Fortescue was about nine or ten dollars a share, it's been up to fifteen. BHP was twenty-seven, twenty-eight. It's now thirty-five, thirty-six bucks a share. Both of these stocks have got plenty of upside left in them, and that's principally off where the iron ore price is, you know, has been has been has been travelling. Um, Fortescue at the moment is still travelling on a dividend yield of about eleven or twelve percent. BHP is six percent frank. And um, there doesn't seem to be any end in sight to what the iron ore price is doing. I possibly could feel perfection, but I think um, everyone's estimates of their full year results are slightly undercooked. So you like these miners for their, their yields, essentially. Um, it's an interesting well, conundrum when you start looking at sort of mining companies for their dividends, isn't it? Well, it has been. We've been we've been we've been on this story for the last eighteen months or two years, calling for a switch, telling our clients to switch out of the banks into in, into the miners simply because of the the possibility of the or the, the probability of the better dividend yield plus the uh, plus the capital growth. And I mean, if you want to if you want to think about it, um, you know, China buys sixty percent of its iron ore from a, from, from Australia, where the the preferential supplier to the world. Um, the other major supplier is Vale from Brazil, and they've got production problems. So there doesn't seem to be any immediate end in sight to, um, to, to the supply constraints that are happening on the production side of iron ore. And uh, I think we could be in for another you know, 18 months or two years of fairly robust iron ore prices. Wow, OK. That's a, certainly Josh Frydenberg, the Federal Treasurer, would be hoping for that with, <laughs> as he tries to repair the federal budget. Um, you also, uh, Kim, uh, are keeping a bit of an eye on EML payments. Yeah, well, this is one we've been in for quite quite some time. And, um, you know, during the correction, I think it got down to about $1, $1, $30, $1.40 a share. Um, it's back up around, uh, you know, the 350 360 level, having been over 4 bucks. But this is a service as a software payment system. And they recently made a big acquisition in Europe, uh, the results of which are to yet come through. So um, like this one for the, um, for the, for, for the growth in, the, um, in, the, in that particular payments area, um, they have exposure in the US. And we all know that the financial system in the US in terms of, um, in terms of payments is not as sophisticated as Australia. But for instance, they still use largely use checks as a payment system in, in America. Um, we, we think there's plenty of upside in, in this one, and I think the June year result is, is, is going to surprise the market to the upside, and um, we've got to target a five bucks a share on this. Yeah, oh, okay. Kim, it's hard to time the market at the best of times. So when you are looking at something like an EML payments and our viewers are sort of, you know, got their list and writing down these notes, do you expect something like an EML if we see another sort of sell down another correction do you think that it will hit those lows that it hit back in march or how do you sort of view that scenario look um i think you know if, if it gets back i mean <clears throat> i looking at, i was looking at targets on this stock yesterday and if it gets into the high twos low threes um from where it, from where it closed um yesterday afternoon I'd be buying it, and then I think what you what you try and do is you just try and average your purchases on the way down because you know you're never going to pick the bottom of the market, but if you start buying it through you know around that three buck level, you're going to be buying value, 
and you just try and average your purchases in over a period of um, a period of days. Yeah, yeah, it's too. That... I, I don't think you're going to see a dollar thirty again on the on, on the stock, but you know this is a day to day proposition with this market because we never you're never quite sure what's going to come through on Twitter or what's going to happen in overseas market. Yeah, and uh, you know when you see when you see daily swings like we've seen of six percent on the downside and on the upside, all you know is that there's going to be lots of volatility. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Kim Sider, appreciate your time. Thanks, David. Speak Thanks to you later. Thanks. Up. Have a good weekend. And, All right. And both Kim and Mark are on a very similar theme, that as investors, you just have your list of stocks that you take advantage of. And that's what this morning is all about. After the wild week um, last week on the Australian market, continuing on the US market overnight, your list of stocks that you just have there down, uh, down there to follow if there is a major correction to pick up when values are low and market psychology has turned against them. Do your research before, yep. and that's what we're hopefully helping you with today. Nathan Somasandram is joining us from Blue Ocean Equities. Nathan, I spoke with you yesterday morning. Uh, the market ended down yesterday, but not to the extent to which it could have. But putting it in perspective, we did see a 3% fall, you know, the previous session. Uh, you know, it was a volatile week in a nutshell. So how have you been viewing opportunities through this bout of volatility? Yeah, I mean, we've been talking about this for a while. We thought, you know, in the last couple of weeks, I mean, the valuation was historical high. We're talking multi-decade high, but the momentum was still quite positive. So we were waiting for things to turn around. About three, four days ago, um, you saw uh, the Fed basically pour water over the optimistic economic view. The retail uh, punters in the U.S. market, if you look at the call put options, uh, turned over around Wednesday. Um, so in that context, that's been falling over as well. So we thought the market's going to start sliding here. Uh, now, you know, if you look at what's happening out there, I mean, it's the worst week uh, since March, um, and I expect that's probably going to keep sliding lower. Um, can it go a lot lower? Um, I think if you look at what's happening with CDC about the uh, potential uh, second wave, and you look at what's happening in the overall economy with unemployment, I think it can, uh, but I don't think that's the base case. But I think you can pretty much uh, expect a decent pullback. It could be back to the previous lows. So it gives you a pretty good option to jump back into stocks that you missed out on the first run. Yeah. So are you cashing up, Nathan, for, for that to occur? Yeah, we've been telling clients to actually short the market uh, over the last week. Uh, we turned positive on banks around early April. Uh, we thought the valuation was really cheap. About two weeks ago, we told clients to sell out of the banks um, and increase your cash holdings, get ready, because the shopping time is coming in the next month or so. Um, you got to remember, um, self-interest is a beautiful thing. Globally, fund managers are going into a June year-end uh, reporting, so they need to lock in their profits. So if they see panic, um, they'll be the first one to get out of the door and the market can fall very quickly. Okay, all right. So. You've told clients to, to cash up and ready to go shopping. What's on your list to, uh, to go shopping for? Yeah, I think the biggest problem for value traders for the last number of years has been trying to buy value stocks that just don't grow. Um, so you have to look at value stocks because there is the transition out of growth into value. But you want to look at value stocks that actually have growth. Um, I, I think you, the obvious places are at the moment is tech and resources. So those are the areas I'm looking at but not the usual candidates. Um, I think everyone is jumping on the standard proven ones that becomes the default choice. 
the one I like uh, in the tech space, uh, the first one is Ordinate. Um, it is basically your sound tech platform stock. Um, it got smashed because obviously lockdown, there's not a lot happening. Clients are not doing a lot. Um, so this fell apart. Now it's recovered. It's a bit too expensive for what it is because just like any business uh, post lockdown, you're not going to get 100% recovery. There'll be about 40, 50, 60% recovery. Uh, and it'll take time, it'll grind higher. So ordinate numbers are not gonna be great. Their supply chain had issues with China lockdown. They're diversifying, so that'll raise cost a bit. So I don't think the next set of numbers are gonna be great and you're gonna get the reporting season in August and I don't think that's gonna be uh, flashy. So I'd expect ordinate to come off. Okay, just explain enough. what to viewers what ordinate does. Yeah, so simply put, um, you know, historically, you want to connect your sound to your amplifier, to the speaker, you have to run a cable through. So you can have, you know, hundreds of meters of cables running everywhere. This is just dig digitalized sound. So it's a platform yeah. for you to be able to connect multiple devices uh, for sound at high definition. But so it's, a it's, it's a global standard, isn't it? Exactly. They've now become the standard. Uh, yeah. There is not a competitor inside. And once they've become, this is why I say when you look at tech stocks, you've got to look at platform text. So this is a platform. So the best thing about it is they're dominating the market, building the market share in a tough market. And when the market recovers, they can add new products to it and then grow even further. So the growth outlook is quite high. Um, it's early stages. It's one of those ones. Everyone knows about Altium. It's probably the best tech stock in the market. This is probably Altium two, three years ago. So yeah. market yeah. is beginning to understand it, but they're not grasping the whole upside. So I think it's early stage, uh, but again, it's run too ahead, far ahead, so I'll, I think it'll come back. Hey, have you ever heard the word Dante around all the television studios you've yeah. been in? That's Audinate. Yeah. So it is a broadcast industry, uh, you know, very it's, friendly. It's a great Australian tech stock, yeah. isn't it? Homegrown. You don't, you don't need to go and look at the NASDAQ for, for great tech stocks. And you want to do it early. You yeah. know, you want to do it at times like this. And then, Nathan, there are those other opportunities that potentially are presenting themselves because we've seen such a route, not only at times in equities, but across, you know, the other asset classes, commodities in particular. I mean, you just have to look at the volatility in oil to think that there could potentially be some opportunities there going forward. Where would you look in that space? Uh, look, in the oil space, a number of good plays in Australia. Um, we tend to think everything is oil, but it's really LNG. Um, the best Vita play in our market is Beach Energy. I'm a big fan of Beach. Um, I think the other one you can look at is Santos. Um, I think oil prices now bounce too hard. Um, you know, you think of game theory. Why did the OPEC Russians have a, a, a pseudo fake war to bring down the oil price? Well, they need to kill off the U.S. shale. U.S. shale below 40 bucks struggles. Below 30 bucks, it's a, it's basically a death bet. So. My guess is they're probably going to take it back down to the low 30s. It'll hang around 30 to $40. Um, and global growth is low, so the demand is pretty weak, pretty easy to do. Um, you just need someone like Russia to pump out a bit more. Um, and that keeps um, Shell in real trouble, and it's a matter of time before Shell rolls over. Um, so once that happens, I'd expect oil price to rise. Um, and also, now that China is mostly up and running, uh, mind you, nobody's buying anything from them, but they are mostly up and running, so they're consuming a fair amount of LNG. So the LNG demand has picked up, so I'd expect LNG prices are going to recover. So I'd be buying beach, uh, but I'm not buying it here. I mean, it, you know, this is a resource stock. Um, it's just moves around like a yo-yo. So I'm happy to wait. Uh, when the market sentiment, uh, you know, bottoms out, uh, you probably pick up beach 
20, 30% lower. And there's an update that we're expecting coming from the company. It's an update regarding its FY21 outlook. Should be out by, by August. So would you look for sort of inflection points like that? Yeah, that's not going to be good. Uh, if you look at the LNG prices, uh, it's just like oil, it's tanked. Um, and you've had lockdown in the major customers uh, out of Japan and mostly Asia and China. So the demand has fallen over the cliff. So, you know, LNG prices have been pretty low. So I don't expect it to be great. Uh, but look, this is one of those ones where you're buying operational leverage to an opening economy. The market priced in that you're going to have a long-term lockdown and then priced in that it's completely open. So it's neither. It's somewhere in the middle. So it'll flip around. But I think beach is one where, again, when you're going to a, a July-August reporting season, I don't think it's going to be beautiful. Um, but that gives you the opportunity over the next 12 to 18 months. Yep. Um, Nathan, a lot of investors would say share market is forward thinking, forward analysing. So even though we go into reporting season in August, that will already have been built in. Do you think that's the case or do you think this year will be a little different because the results are just going to be so ugly? Well, I think you've got this combination of the results are going to be ugly, but the price that the stock market is trading it is pretty much at 20-year highs. So you've got really high prices, really low expectations that's going to come through. So the multiples are extremely stretched. Um, so the reality check is when that happens, people realize, oh, it's not a V-shaped recovery. Nothing ever bounces back in V-shape when you're in a recession. I mean, you can look at over the last 200 years. We've never had a V-shape recovery. Um, and everyone thinks if you give cheap money, suddenly you get a V-shape recovery even if people have got 10, 15% unemployment. It just doesn't work like that. Job creation takes two, three, four years. So mm -hmm. the recovery that the Fed is telling you, the unemployment to go back to what it was in 2019, is going to get somewhere around 2023. So in that context, valuations have already priced in two, three years into the future. So yes, it's forward looking, but we're looking with the, uh, you know, Serious foresight, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's, it's not that forward-looking, so... Uh, exactly. I think yeah. most investors have a time frame that's less than three months, let alone two, three years. Yeah, absolutely. Nathan, always good to catch up. Thanks very much for that. Good to see you on the Sunday morning. Uh, so, Nathan's shopping list there, Ordinate and Beach Energy. And there's a common theme coming through. Um, our experts here today is time to cash up. Not time to get carried away. Um, start expecting that market sell-off. There are a lot of dark clouds um, ahead over the next couple of months. Just take your time and have your shopping list. And that's what this morning's about, building that shopping list. So on Nathan's shopping list, AD8 is the ticker code and BPT, as you probably well know, for Beach Energy. Let's move on, shall we? We've got yep. another great guest who's taken time out of his Saturday morning. Uh, to join us, that's James Rosenberg. He's joining us from ELNC Value. Hey, James, good morning to you. Hope you've had a, a coffee and you're all ready to go. I wouldn't be talking to you if I hadn't had a coffee. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so let's get talking then about the market this week. Did you see the selling as an opportunity to get into any particular names that you've been keeping your eye on? Yeah, absolutely. Anytime there's a really big sell-off that creates opportunities, you never know when the bottom's going to be. It's it's pure luck to be able to uh, to pick it, um, and it's fanciful to think that, uh, that that you can. So, what you look for is high quality businesses that tend to trade at 
really expensive multiples that just are um, a, a leap of faith to buy. And you, you put the bucket out in a range of different places and see what drops in. Yeah. When you look at the market and all the negative headlines and all the problems there are in the world, and, and there's, there's no doubt that they are and will continue to be for a while, you look forward and you think, okay, I'm a long-term investor, I'm trying to grow my wealth. What does the share price look in three months or six months' time? And do I care? If it's a dramatic discount to where it's been uh, over its long-term average, uh, it, does the share price matter in three or six months' time? If I could have got it lower, I don't know, maybe if you've got the money, maybe you buy some more. But what do earnings look like? And what do earnings look like in 12 months and 24 months and in five years? And if you're confident, confident that earnings are going to hold up over that period, you rub your hands with glee and you say, thank mm. you very much. James, do you see a, a lot of our experts that we've been talking to this morning, both here domestically and also in the United States, have really started to see this week as maybe a change in psychology of the markets, that, that up till now they've ignored the bad news and have looked through that. Now it's just starting to sink in and maybe the markets will retrace to some economic and health realities. Have you sensed that? David, I wouldn't say markets have ignored it because they had a massive fall a couple of months ago. Right, the, sure. the issue is the speed of the recovery and very different things happening domestically than in much of the world. In North America in particular, the numbers of COVID cases are just eye-watering and really no sign of them of them coming down as steeply as they have in Asia and in Australia and even parts of Europe. Whereas domestically, the number of cases are incredibly small on a global scale and versus forecast a couple of months ago. So we've really got a wonderful opportunity to carefully reopen our economy as, as we're doing, get on the front foot and, uh, and, and get a jump on most of the rest of the world. We're fortunate in the low rate of COVID infections. We're fortunate in our geographic and economic ties to Asia, which also have had very low rates of infection or, 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 or have had um, much more controlled rates of infection because they've been through SARS, governments and people are, are prepared for it. So we've got a great opportunity. We've got to do it carefully and avoid a, a big second spike because that's yeah. The key risk but we're, we're part of a global equities market chain. And if if the US gets the jitters because of their dire situation, possibility of a second wave, that ripple effect to our market is inevitable as well, isn't it? Oh, David, it is inevitable. And if we have a look what happened uh, yesterday, we woke up and found the American market down six and a quarter percent. Our market finished down a couple of percent. So yeah. yes, there is an effect. But I think because the circumstances, both economically and from this health issue, are so much better in, better in Australia, uh, we will have a much more muted negative effect. Right. I'm not trying to paint a picture of you know sunny blue skies. Um, there are a lot of problems economically. We've still got a, a lot of risks from a health point of view, but we are so much better than the rest of uh, pretty much anywhere in the world. So we saw a 1.5% drop yesterday, but we did have more pronounced selling in the previous session, um, you know, in the wake of the FOMC and some of the rates of coronavirus rising. So if you think about that global equities chain, do you look for companies 
in a sell-off on a down day that have that global exposure, you know, good Australian solid companies with global exposure? Yeah, look, there's a range of different companies and depends on what sort of investor you are. Um, what you look for is companies that have got a very consistent, proven consistent earnings profile. They've got low debt. They've got management that you can trust. They've proven, if possible, if the history goes back far enough, that they've been able to be very resilient through an economic downturn. Um, if they're just substantially Australian businesses, well and good. If they're global businesses, you know, all the better. Bigger yep. market to play. Okay, give us a couple of stocks that, that you would have on your list to take advantage of if there's a, another major correction in the market. Uh, a, a tech stock, um, Technology One, does billing systems, um, HR, procurement, uh, payrolls for largely governments and semi-governments. This is a company that has not missed a single beat in uh, earnings growth over a period of 20 years. They've never had any debt. Um, it is the most predictable business because of the stickiness of the companies, of, of their uh, customers and the uh, history of delivering. The problem is when you get really good businesses like this, they're really expensive. You're never, ever going to get in a, as an absolute bargain, even in a, um, in a serious downturn. Yep. I was hoping to be, uh, I had a few buckets out at uh, about 32 times earnings. This company's been trading in the mid 50s. When we had the absolute worst of the downturn, it got to about 34 times. So it had a pretty big fall, not quite as much. Perhaps I was just a little bit too greedy. So uh, that's one that I really love. A lot of clients that own it want to buy more of them. Was hoping to uh, to do it, but maybe uh, just a little too ambitious with the with the uh, with the share price. Yeah. Every year or so, this company trades in the sort of mid twenties. You can pick it up. You have to be patient, but when you do, what a wonderful business! Yeah, yeah. Um, as you were saying, it's a, a software as a, a service business. It's got wonderful annuities, big government contractors around the world. It's. Uh, it's a fabulous one. Um, uh, what else have you got for us? In terms of one that did have a big fall and we've been able to buy, uh, Credit Corp. Credit Corp have got two arms. The main one is they purchased distressed debt ledgers from a range of finance companies, telcos, range of different companies. Never really disclosed what they, uh, what they pay for them, but widely thought to be about 15 cents in the dollar. And then they go and work with those um, sure if they call them customers or what they are but uh, we, we work with uh, with these people that owe them that they've purchased the debt from and um, anything they pick up over 15 cents in the dollar they um, they do very well yeah. they've got a very cautious and measured approach we're not talking about sending fellows out with baseball bats um, yeah. they are the absolute upper end of consumer advocacy uh, wonderful business has really really strong management that have been there for a long time and deeply know the business. Uh, they've also got a credit arm themselves, which um, has got a competitive advantage because they've got a list of a million people they won't lend to. Um, in Australia, with privacy laws, there's uh, you can't find out yeah. as much as you might want to about people's credit ratings, but if you've got it in-house. Um, so th th this is a, a company that's been very resilient. The big risk to them is, um, is a substantial increase in unemployment, which is what we saw through uh, what we're seeing at the moment. 
JobKeeper and JobSeeker has softened the blow of that significantly. So a lot of the people that are in casual work that may be uh, in Credit Corp system uh, have been um, mm. kept afloat economically by the government. Uh, it is a bit of a risk when, uh, when September rolls round. The hope is the economy will be substantially reopened by then. Um, if, it's, if it's not, we look to be avoiding the really nasty fall, uh, rises in, um, in unemployment. But good business growing in the US yeah. and their two major competitors in Australia are in a world of pain. So yeah. the one of them, one of them suspended, that helps. Uh, you also I, like Cochlear. You've got it Cochlear on your list too. Wonderful global business. What a fantastic company. Lovely story, of course. Uh, a company bone adhered hearing, uh, hearing aids for the profoundly deaf global leader, global business, wonderful track record of earnings growth, very, um, again, with a really good business, generally speaking, very hard to find it at a bargain. But every once in a while, you, 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 the market offers you um, a fair price, if not an absolute bargain. And um, and when that happens, you, you, you look at it, as I was saying at the start, I've got no idea what the share price or the market's going to do in six months' time but I've got a very high degree of confidence that in a couple of years' time, earnings are going to be higher than they are now. So you rub your hands with glee and say, thank you very much. Okay, and Cochlear, one of those companies as well, I suppose, that is leveraged to the recovery in Asia, in China in particular, um, you know, happening quicker than in other parts of the economy. Yeah, they've got big markets there. Um, for a lot of people, you'd like to think that it's not an economic decision. In some parts of the world it is. In other parts, um, there's significant government help. But the risk around cochlear, or the, the, the big reason for the fallen share price was a lot of hospitals being, elective surgery being put off and hospitals being retooled for um, an expected influx of COVID patients, not just in Australia, but around the world. So they're going to have a bit of a, a weaker year in earnings. So what, as a long-term investor, uh, you should be really happy when you have these sorts of uh, falls in the market. Yeah. All right. James Rosenberg, ELNC Bellew, we'll let you get back to your weekend. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. Thanks very much. I'm off for another coffee. Good yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on you, James. And James, of course, is a regular on our uh, weekday uh, call session, uh, 12 p.m. Putting midday. out his buckets. I've just it's, got this visual of yeah, him yeah. going around putting out buckets. Eastern Standard outside. Time. And we, we go through all of these sorts of things every day. Uh, we analyze 10 stocks with two experts. Over, over 60 minutes and uh, you suggest the stocks. But today, something a bit different. Our experts are suggesting their stocks for us to look at if there's a correction in the market and some uh, some really good things. They're all cashing up, aren't they? Yeah, they, they sure are. They can sense a change in the environment. We are really revisiting what stocks you should have on your wish list in the case of a pullback. Another pullback, because of course that was the hallmark of this week, wasn't it? A return of this extreme volatility, share markets correcting, including here in Australia. And it came off the back of reinforcement from the US Fed that said, so look, this is going to be a long drawn out recovery, even though we've had buckets of uh, monetary policy stimulus thrown at the economies, plenty of liquidity, fiscal stimulus as well. Uh, you know, but the reality is, is that you know, share markets have rallied hugely. Um, since that March low, and markets don't go in one direction 
for very long. Let's continue on with the program. We're picking the brains of our expert guests, getting a bit of a wish list of what stocks they would like to buy in the case of another pullback, if this pullback continues. Let's welcome into the program Henry Jennings. He's joining us from Marcus today. Henry, good Saturday morning to you. Great to have you here with us. Give us your assessment of the week that was. Is it, as uh, David Kosh has been talking about with all of our guests, you know, a real change in psychology when it comes to markets that uh, we should be poised for further pullbacks? Hi, guys. Morning to everyone. Um, yes, I think there is, has been a bit of a change this week. We, we've certainly seen a, a great disconnect between uh, really where the, uh, the markets have gone to and where the economy is going to. Of course, markets are, are very much forward-looking. So we have been forward-looking in that and hoping for this V-shaped recovery that uh, everyone's been talking about in the economy. But it's far easier to turn the machine off than it is to turn the machine back on. And I think we were all reminded of that by uh, Jerome Powell with the Fed this week when he was talking about the U.S. economy and some of those jobs coming back may never come back. And I think that's really sort of uh, affected the market zeitgeist, if you like, much in the way that uh, I think looking back into those dim distant days in March when Tom Hanks was uh, affected with coronavirus, oh, it boy. became sort of a, a thing. Um, you know, he was something the Americans could identify with. Up till then, it had been a, an issue that was confined to China and other parts of, it, of Asia. But as soon as uh, someone as iconic as Tom Hanks got it, the world and certainly the US started to take some notice of it. So I think there is a change in the air. Uh, we uh, certainly have been uh, feeling that change at Marcus today. Uh, last Friday, even, I went and did the first thing I'd ever done before, which was to buy a uh, ETF on the on the bear ETF, which is the BBOZ, which is actually the geared one to a downturn in the market. And during this week in uh, the uh, SMA that we run, the fund that we run, uh, Marcus uh, decided to go to uh, pretty much 100% cash uh, the other day. So we are certainly seeing signs for us that this rally has come to a bit of a bit of an end, at least short term. We can be quite nimble, and we did pick the market very well. I think we all went all in around March the 23rd, 24th. So uh, we've had a hell of a ride, as they say, and very happy to lock in that money and sit on the sidelines and see how things pan out just for the time being. Okay, so that's really interesting. You 100% uh, cash after going all in at that uh, yeah. extreme market low. Well done. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and we were speaking with Chris Conway from Marcus today yesterday, and he gave us a whole list of companies that you guys were selling yesterday, you know, including Aristocrat Leisure. A lot of those companies that were really leveraged to that economy reopening narrative. So, yeah. you know, what will it take in your view? Because I know you were talking about hope meeting reality this week with the sell-off. Is it going to be uh, a, a surge in cases of coronavirus? Uh, because, you know, the economists are saying that April will be the low watermark when it comes to the economic data. So likely it won't be the economic data headlines that really take us to new lows. What could it be? Well, I think the economists have covered themselves in a huge amount of glory at the moment. They were so far wrong on the U.S. jobs numbers the other week that uh, I'm not sure the economists should be giving advice on the share market, to be honest. Um, I think for us, you know, the, the second wave is clearly an issue that's out there, although when you listen to Steve Mnuchin talking about the fact they wouldn't close down the U.S. economy for a second wave, and we're starting to see that even Houston now is, uh, they've got a problem, as they say, in all the best movies. But um, for us, I think it's just a question of valuations. We are approaching the end of financial years. So there's likely to be a little bit of window dressing, but more importantly, we're also heading into reporting season, and this is where reality really is going to hit uh, in terms of hope, because we are going to get the first look 
as we saw with the Fed. That was the first sign of uh, the Fed. They gave those economic projections. Those were the first economic projections from the Fed since coronavirus hit. So August is going to be a very, very crucial time for our market, I think, in terms of uh, where it's going. I know that seems a long way off, but things happen quickly and we do anticipate. So I think there's likely to be some nerves continuing and I see more downside to come in our market, albeit we might get a small pop on Monday after the U.S. rally, but anything can happen over two days of the weekend, as we've seen before. Sure thing. And it was a rally, but it was a pretty volatile session in yeah. New York in the overnight period as well, and commodities being sold off. So, you know, there's plenty to sort of wash through in the next few days, including updates on coronavirus. So, yeah. um, so Henry, you know, if, if you're 100% cash, you're obviously waiting for opportunities. Uh, what's yeah. on your wish list? Well, I guess the, the wish list very much coincides with the stocks we've sold to some extent because they're all good stocks. We just didn't like the price. But two stocks that do stand out, one is Macquarie Group, which, of course, has a great leverage to recovery in terms of uh, it is it is very much leveraged to the stock market recovery, but also it is a big infrastructure player as well um, and very well managed. They've got a, actually they've got a, a dividend policy with it provides a yield. They didn't defer the dividend. And uh, certainly Macquarie, with their risk management skills, their exposure to global infrastructure, their diversity of earnings, their annuity stream, there's really solid management and their risk management especially uh, stands out. They got down to 80 bucks during March uh, and have bounced considerably since then. So that's certainly very much on my shopping list, certainly uh, especially as I used to uh, work there. So that, that does... Uh, give me a little bit of an insight, I guess, into how so, they think. So sitting at $116 uh, yeah. right now. So the 52-week low was 70.45, round about there. So yeah, where do you look at sort of an entry point for something like Macquarie Group? Well, I think if we did see a sustained fall in the market, around 100 bucks is a nice round number to start nibbling away. There's certainly some price targets in excess of $125, $130 from some of the analysts. And uh, as I say, it does have that leverage to the infrastructure space, which I think as we come out of this, governments are going to be using that as the major stimulus package that they can roll forward, those shovel-ready products, uh, projects. And of course, Macquarie is going to be well-placed to, uh, to help in that space. Okay, what else in perhaps a different area of the market would you be looking? <laughs> uh, the other one, it's another financial, um, but it's certainly one that does quite well during crises, and that's Credit Corp. They've recently mm -hmm. raised, they raised 150 million bucks at $12.50. Stock's trading around 16.75 at the moment. So clearly that was a bit of free money for those that were lucky enough to get some in that SPP as retail shareholders. But I think Credit Corp offers uh, some good leverage to the economy. Of course, there is an issue coming in September when the stimulus runs out, and that certainly is an issue. But their competitors seem to be in trouble at the moment. Pioneer Credit has got some uh, issues with one of its uh, partners. And of course, Collection House has some issues as well. So it does give them a little bit of a clear playing field. They're cashed up. They can buy those debt ledgers, which are all important. And I think research has shown that during uh, past financial crises, when the economy does start to come out of that, Credit Corp does actually really, really well out of that as people do start to pay back those debts and they can buy those debt ledgers uh, relatively easily without uh, the competition that was there perhaps during uh, the good times. So Credit Corp for me is one to watch. It, uh, it's rallied a fair way off its lows, again, like Macquarie. But I think, you know, if we do see a pullback in the market and that confidence evaporating in the financial sector, which it does from time to time, then that certainly should be on your shopping list.
Yeah, it was down 8% yesterday. So just to clarify, because we were actually speaking with um, James Rosenberg about this one earlier on. Yeah. In times of economic hardship, doesn't that act as a as a tailwind to Credit Corp because it's got more of that underperforming, um, you know, those debts that it can actually buy up, essentially? Um, yeah, it does to, to, uh, to some extent. That's very true. I think the biggest tailwind is that their competitors have been dropping out. They okay. did some analysis. Macquarie have got some analysis. But uh, during the financial crisis, as we recovered from 2009 to uh, 2011, their um, debt collected was 40% above expectations at the time of purchase. So it shows that as the economies come out and we do get a recovery, and we will get a recovery, it just won't be V-shaped. It will be more uh, U and maybe a bit of a tail. But uh, as we do come out, then Credit Corp should be well-placed to take advantage of that. Henry Jennings, it's been real, as always. Great to speak with you. Thank you so much for joining us. Go have some fun. Oh, thanks. He's a fun guy. He has lots of fun on the weekends, I know. All right, uh, let's get to our next guest. Um, keep this roll call going on. Scott Phillips is joining us now from The Motley Fool. Scott, it's been so long since we've had the opportunity to chat. It's great of you to join us today. It is very cool to be catching up the Dean, especially on a Saturday morning for this special episode. So uh, good final <laughs> round, mate. Hope you've been well. Yeah, I've been really well. And listen, I think we're doing this because, you know, we've been talking a lot about this market rally. You know, how long can it go on in the face of poor economic data with so many uncertainties out there, you know, not only from a health perspective, but from uh, geopolitics playing into it as well. And then we had this week that, that acted sort of as uh, a circuit breaker, a wake up call some would say, would you? Uh, wake up call, in, uh, I guess, suggests that the rally was overdone. I don't think it is in the long term. So I guess we've got to separate the short term from the long term. It's a wake up call for people who expected that maybe everything was a straight line up from here. Uh, that's always a dangerous perspective. It's been something I've been banging on about for a couple of weeks. Not that I expected it. I certainly didn't forecast it. I don't know anyone who did, but the reality that, you know, these things don't go in a straight line. Seven straight days of gains, as you say, in the midst of terrible health, economic, geopolitical news was always a, an aggressive assumption that it would keep going. So not surprising the slightest, though we've seen a bit of a pullback. Um, to some degree, though, I am, I do think shares are attractive right now. I'll take the exact opposite side to Henry, maybe with a different time frame. to be fair. I'm a long-term investor, as you know. Um, I certainly think shares are attractive right now, given how low the market is relative to its February highs, and we're expected to be over the long term. And, and very quickly, the reason why is that you look at the current circumstance you outlined beautifully, the reality is share prices have the next 10, 15, 20 years worth of earnings baked into them. Now, let's say the economy is terrible for three months, six months, nine months, 12 months. Um, Jeremy Siegel, the, the Wharton professor, very well-known guy, said, even if profits are zero for a year, that should lop only 10% off a share price when you look at the algebra that's involved. So when the market fell 38%, that was always a massive overreaction. The recovery has been about a half of that, give or take. It depends on the day, especially after Thursday and Friday. So um, I remain bullish on the long term. I think now will end up being a good time to buy shares, even if we have more falls in the meantime. Okay, so if now is a good time to buy shares, do you try to play a thematic and narrative? Do you play that economy reopening um, narrative? Get some of those really beaten down names. You know, you can think of some in the travel space, for example, uh, some in the healthcare space. Where do you look? I think that's right, with one um, rider. The first is, of course, these businesses need to survive. So uh, travel will be a great industry in five years' time. People make a lot of money. A lot of us will be traveling. That'll be big, right? It just will. Um, and I'll, I'll take the other side of anyone bet who wants to offer me money on, on the reverse of that. In the meantime, though, they need to survive 
through to reopening. Now, the likes of web debt, flights, and the corporate travel, Qantas, you know, of course, Virgin's already fallen off the perch as a, an existing entity. It'll be back in some form. You've got to make it to that point first if you work buying. So that's the first thing. Balance sheet strength matters. Second thing is, and related to that, even if you survive, massive dilution will still kill you. So Webjet, of course, effectively diluted one for one. So now that's twice as many shares. Um, that means a previous high of $15 is an equivalent high now of only $7.50, which means you've got to be careful about how you ex extrapolate those current share prices. But yeah, look, honestly, travel will be big. Um, it's probably the biggest return potential from any sector in the market. It's also probably the highest risk sector of any sector in the market. And that's the problem right now. You look at sectors and say, if they make it through this without dilution, without going broke, there's a massive, massive tailwind going to come back when people start spending. Concessionary retail, discretionary retail, sorry, the same thing. Um, when people start spending again, if you look at some of the knockdown share prices, really big opportunities there as well. I don't play thematics directly, though, to be fair. So I'm looking at individual companies. There'll be discretionary retailers that are terrible, some that are great. Some travel stocks will probably go by the wayside, or at least, you know, Virgin's already gone. Uh, you know, it'll be a company-by-company company proposition. But, yeah, if you're looking for the, mass, the biggest potential upside with a lot of risk, be very, very clear, a lot of risk, then those sort of sectors are the places you want to go fishing. Just, as always, be diversified in your portfolio if you're going to take that bet. So perhaps something with a little less risk than some of those names. Give us your, um, you know, your watch list. What's top of the list? All right, so there's a couple that have not bounced back since the recovery, with the recovery. I think that's a great place to go shopping. So the first one I'm gonna talk about is Virtus Health. Now Virtus Health is a um, assistive reproductive technology business called IVF business for the rest of us. Um, the business there was in, in hiatus because they weren't allowed to trade for a long time during the depths of the pandemic. Now, elective surgery is back. And if you look at that share price, yeah, it's bounced back a little bit from its absolute March lows, still well and truly off those February highs. And if you think about the fact that, you know, in again, one, two, three years time, do we really expect fewer IVF procedures because of the pandemic? I think it's very, very, very unlikely. People want to have families. When they want to have families, there's only a limited amount of time they can have those families. So you're not going to put off having a kid for three years if you're already 42, for example, or 38. You're going to be saying, look, the clock's ticking. This might take a while. I'm getting back to the clinic as quickly as I possibly can. So I think Virtus is really in the box seat to benefit from that recovery, just a normalcy. There's no big upside required, right? Literally just when everything goes back to normal and the market sees it back to normal, we should be able to see a recovery to some of those pre-pandemic prices. Uh, you don't need to wait for it to go down to any of those March lows. You're saying that if you've got a long-term horizon, really now is a pretty good time to buy it. Exactly. I mean, it's a $5 plus stock. It's probably worth even more than that once business gets back to proper normal. And they've got growth opportunities in Ireland and Singapore, by the way. But yeah, exactly right. You know, just back to the $5 price from today, that's a pretty nice return. If you get it, I think you probably will. So there are some stuff that just seem, if not obvious, at least likely, I think, to recover. And if and when they do, those opportunities seem pretty clear to me. Again, why would Virtus be doing fewer procedures and making less money? than it was in January or February, when we get to January Feb next year. And if you believe that's true, and I do, then why would the share price not get back to something similar to what it was? It's kind of a pretty easy reversion story. And I think it's a good quality business with pretty good cash flow characteristics as well. And as I said, that little bit of a growth piece, I wouldn't pay a lot for the growth potential in Singapore and Ireland necessarily, but it's a little nice cherry on top for get those businesses humming. There's actually really good growth stories on top of that, just straight out cash flow rebound. There's a few unknowns when it comes to the luxury wine market in China. Yeah. Or is this, again, one of those companies that you see has been through the worst of it, uh, Chinese demand will return and on its merry way? 
Okay, so worst of it, no, I have no idea. Um, you know, by now I'm not a guy who does predictions, so it could get worse before it gets better. It could get better than worse than better than worse. We know China uses trade policy as a proxy for foreign policy. So those things you need to allow for when it comes to how you think about the volatility you're gonna suffer from some of these stocks. Now, as I said, Treasury, it's high quality business, you mentioned that. So Penfold, Lindemann's, Wins, massive cash cow business here in Australia. We're all gonna drink more wine, well and truly into the future, I'm pretty sure. Um, also too, if you look at the pre-pandemic export numbers from Australia to China, the Australian wine industry was exporting, or getting export growth of 40% into China. That's 20% more volume, and on top of that, 20% higher prices on average. And that plays straight the penfolds. They call it mastige, right? This mass prestige idea, but let's just call it premium. Um, that premium brands, the penfolds bin range is a really easy, simple one. The wins range, again, some of those premium wines there. These are wines that I believe Asians in general and Chinese in particular are going to continue to demand next year, the year after, in five years and 10 years' time. So again, in the short term, the shares could fall. China could invoke different trade policies. That's all going to happen, and the market will probably freak out if it does. If you're a long-term investor though, and that trend continues, it's very hard to justify today's price. If we get back to 20, 30, 40% volume growth over any extended period of time, Treasury is often racing. I think it's a really good way to play that story. While you've got a really nice cash cow business here at home, so you're not taking too much risk, you're not betting the farm on China, you're getting a really nice cash cow base cash flow business, and then you're getting the growth opportunity in Asia in general, as I said, and China in particular. Yeah, and the potential demerger of Penfolds as well. And we noticed in that chart that it was actually suffering prior to that initial March sell-off and really has just been ticking along uh, and around those lows. All right, Scott Phillips, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate your insights as always. Pleasure. Thanks, guys. Joining us from the Motley Fool there. Yeah, let's continue our around the grounds of uh, experts that we... We talk to every afternoon on the call between 12 and 1 p.m. Today's special is all about building that shopping list of, of great stocks to buy and take advantage of if there is an upcoming market correction, which many do believe will continue over the next couple of weeks. Adam Dawes from Shoreham Partners uh, joins us now. Uh, Adam, good to see you up, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed. <laughs> On a Saturday morning. He yes. should be. I <laughs> know. Oh, he's he's not really a rager on a Friday night. How are you, sir? Good to see you. Um, well, what do you make of, of this week's correction? Are you, and are you seeing a change in, in sentiment with the markets, uh, particularly with some of the, the harsh economic realities starting to sink in? Yeah, isn't it great to see some uh, pullback, and especially in, in our market that, you know, we've seen such a fantastic run and today or, or over the last coming couple of days, we've really started to see reality setting in. And that reality is, is that potentially things aren't going to be as good as or sugarcoating. And we certainly saw the FOMC meetings or the Fed meeting yesterday or the day before now, uh, really talking about it's going to be a long road ahead. And uh, I think that's stuck with a lot of investors' minds. But obviously last night, a nice little rebound, perhaps a technical rebound for, for, mm. for what is more to come. Yeah. As we heard from uh, some of our experts out of the United States a bit earlier, yes, a very pleasing close up 400 points, but a wild, very volatile night of trading that, that is, yeah. is spooking some investors as a result of it, that they see this more as a dead cap bounce rather than something, a longer term recovery, that this is a, a bit of a blip. And, and next week, we have Jerome Powell speaking again um, in front of Congress. 
and they're all getting a bit spooked ahead of that. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting to see how the the world is is reacting because you know we've all been talking about there's going to be another correction, there's going to be something that's going to happen, uh, and 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 markets can shoot to the upside further than potentially, and then also to the downside as well. So. You know, you need to be careful when you're investing. And I think, you know, longer term, there's still obviously some really good value out there and opportunities. But short term, we do remember that we see a lot of volatility in traditional bear markets. And, you know, in the GFC, we had around about seven to 10 different kinds of starts to try and get out of that uh, that bear pattern. And I think we're just in one of those patterns at the moment. Yep. Okay. So you're an investor and, and a sure client and you're thinking, all right, I am... I've, I've got a bit of investor remorse because I didn't load up when uh, the big downturn came in March on some quality um, Australian stocks. If it happens again, what should I have on my watch list? Yeah, certainly there's a couple of things and, and the shopping list is exactly what you need. And we were putting one together on Friday. And so it's really timely to sort of be talking about this today. But um, there's a couple of things. One is uh, an ETF called NDQ, which is the NASDAQ 100. And if you have a look at that chart, for, you know, for anybody that basically had the, the nerve to buy at that sort of March 23rd, you can see that there, it's been an absolutely fantastic ride higher. And that is certainly one that if any on any weakness, because obviously you've got Google, Microsoft, all the FANG stocks in there, this one will come back very, very quickly on any any real weakness. So yeah, that, that's one that's on my shopping list and it would have been more, it would have been fantastic to be buying it uh, around that March 23rd, but I still feel that you've got some opportunities there and that's certainly one that's on my watch list. Mm. Um, and the other one on your watch list is uh, just an extraordinary market darling over the, uh, over the last three months, Afterpay. Yeah, well, it wouldn't be a show if we didn't talk about Afterpay. Actually. So, uh, so yeah, look, I mean, you know, March, March 23rd again, that stock hit $10. And I'd recommend it to a couple of clients that around that $10, $12 mark. And we pushed the button for a couple of clients, but a lot of other people were very, very nervous about this sector and very, very nervous. And, you know, there's, I think clients still see this as a speculative investment. So it's quite difficult to, to sort of get them to understand how this thing works. But yeah, at $10, $12, it was a fantastic buy. I still think on any weakness that you can still do very well on this one. There's talk in the market of their quarterly numbers that are coming out uh, in the next, well, in the next couple of uh, weeks that we're going to see Afterpay coming out and, and basically putting uh, 10 million customers on board for, uh, for their service in the US. Now, that, that basically means there's been sort of 5 million customers in a quarter. So that's an absolutely extraordinary uh, rate of return. And certainly uh, another one that Shaw's uh, like a lot at the moment is Zip. And that's another one that's just bought into the US for that sort of exponential growth that we're seeing. Yeah, and we had that update coming from Zip just yesterday about its May figures. And, you know, they were really strong. So you can, I suppose, draw a line from that to Afterpay and think that Afterpay's results will likely, or update will be very strong. So, I mean, we yep. saw the chart just a moment ago. It's trading up around that $52 level. Yesterday, only sold off by about two-tenths of a percent. So do you think that it's likely at any point that it's going to go back to, I mean, surely not $10. So what would be a realistic <laughs> buying opportunity when it comes to Afterpay? 
Pick a number, Nadine. Uh, you know, I, I really don't. You know, probably 25, somewhere around there, you know, if it, if it sort of came back there. And even, you know, sort of round numbers, $30. I think anything that you can, uh, you know, put your hand on your heart and say you're comfortable with, I think this business has got a lot of growth going forward. And I really do feel that at the end of the day, uh, you know, Afterpay is going to be quite successful in the US and that's where it is. But there's a lot of people uh, in the market that have been trying to short this one and getting it wrong. And hence why you saw it sort of really sail past its December highs uh, due to the fact that uh, they've been wrong on this short and they're having to cover. Okay. So uh, there's been a lot there, but I think, you know, there is still a lot of time. So any kind of weakness, uh, you know, you can do it because this thing, if the growth trajectory in the US continues, this thing will go higher from here. There's no See, doubt there, about it. A, this is a classic example, maybe, of what we always talk about on, uh, on the call of getting too greedy with a stock like this when it's almost just starting its trajectory. From what you're saying, in two years' time, we could be looking back at 50 bucks and saying, geez, that was cheap. We should have bought it then rather than get greedy and wait for it to get down to 30 and it never get there. Yeah, I mean, you saw, we saw that with CSL uh, at, at, you know, $50. I, I bought some at 30 sold it at 50 thought I was a hero. bought some more at 80 and sold it at 100 thought I was a hero. And then, you know, missed from 100 to 200 and, and now it's 300 So, you know, yeah, absolutely the growth and it's the PE, it's the earnings that potentially is, is going to be coming unstuck a little bit. But if they've got that growth rate and the market's happy to pay for that growth rate and they don't slip up anywhere, absolutely this thing yeah. can go higher. Uh, those clients that you put them into after pay at $10, hopefully you're on their Christmas card list. Yeah, it was a hard sell, trust me. It was a really hard sell then, for sure. Well, um, you know, as I say, hindsight is twenty twenty, and I suppose that's what we're trying to help our viewers out with uh, right now. Uh, Adam Dawes, Sean Partners, always a pleasure. Enjoy the weekend. Thanks, guys. Have a great one. You All too. Right. Really getting a great cross-section of opinions here. One of our favourites on uh, on the call is Claude Walker from A Rich Life and he joins us on this Saturday morning for a special version of the call as we look to get set for maybe a, a correction in the markets. Uh, there's a sense that that maybe the economic reality is, uh, is setting in. Claude Walker from A Rich Life, thanks for joining us. In a suit and tie on a Saturday morning, that is impressive. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, thank you. Good morning. Yeah, I went to the extra effort this morning. So <laughs> it, is, it is very much appreciated. Look, um, we've been talking to a, a lot of our regulars on the call who are sort of really starting to cash up um, to keep a bit of a war chest for a, a correction that's coming. Um, are you in that situation as well? Uh, somewhat, yes. So uh, what happened with me, as uh, some of my readers will know, is that I massively moved to cash at the very end of February. So 28th of February, I'd already gone to about 30% cash around there. And I've sort of been at least that cash level ever since. Of course, as the market has rallied, my cash level has actually gone down. So now it's uh, in the 20s somewhere. But my problem has been that because I cashed up then I kind of kept it roughly that level. I did a bit of buying in March, but not as much as I should have. And so I've kind of had a fair bit of cash that whole way up, which has mean that while I outperformed a lot in March because of that, uh, I've lagged a little bit in uh, the month since. I've still done done well, but as a result of that, I don't need to cash up 
all of a sudden right now, but obviously I am hoping that I'll get uh, some good opportunities to deploy that cash because my normal setting would be to be 90 or 95% invested, which has right. to do with my age and stage in life. So you're expecting a pullback coming up over the next um, couple of months? Yeah, so at some point I do, uh, but let me tell you why. The reason for me is that at the moment, a lot of people are focused on opening up and recovery and that kind of thing. And in Australia, that is probably quite a legitimate thing to be focused on. We've managed the uh, coronavirus situation very well in this country. However, there are plenty of states over in the US that have never really even flattened the curve. And some of those curves are looking pretty ugly You've got a situation where lots of people have been arrested and put in small spaces, confined spaces. If one of those people had coronavirus, they could easily spread it. Uh, we may be seeing um, an uptick, but even if not, only a certain portion of US states are actually social distancing to a really large degree. There are lots of people that don't believe it's really necessary or, or think that it's a become a political thing for them. And those states will continue to see outbreak progress over the coming months it's just going to take a while before the outbreak reaches that sort of panicky level where hospital systems are overwhelmed because once hospital over systems are overwhelmed people do get start start getting worried because even if they have a car crash they can't safely get treated and that's when you see activity well i think we will see activity levels drop down anyway regardless of what the rules are and i think that probably it's only once activity levels in the economy really start taking a hit in the absence of some stimulus or massive liquidity which i would not take for granted i think we will see another sell-off right uh, my expectation in the short term is that probably just the the positive sentiment will be enough to to see the market sort of stand up fairly well until things get really bad on the ground if they indeed do Okay. okay, so if that happens, because to your point, even if uh, government officials will not relock down the economy, people take matters into their mm. own hands if they're A, sick or scared. So in that case that we see a pullback, some sort of a market correction, are you looking at companies here in Australia and what companies or is there a sector? Is there some sort of thematic that you're looking to play? Yeah, right. So the thematic I like best right now is healthcare. That's because I see that as probably win-win for me, whatever happens. So I guess probably the first individual stock to, uh, we can talk about uh, would be my favorite one, which has already said just recently that they're starting to see scan volumes go back up. So this is, of course, Prometicus, which does uh, radiology imaging. Um, it has the essentially the best product on the market, which allows it to have much higher margins than some other uh, companies that are in the same space. And it allows doctors to very quickly view radiology images, even remotely, even on their iPad or something like that from home. So it's uh, a real winner there. It's in the biggest uh, US institutions. It recently announced another large win. So it's definitely something the big hospital groups are going after. And that's its selling point, that it can process massive volumes of scans really quickly. Now, of course, they see a little bit of a drop off when you have a hospital system overwhelmed, as is the case in New York. But then as a uh, area recovers from that big hit, usually through um, imposing a lockdown or somehow controlling coronavirus, you'll see those scan volumes pick up fairly quickly. So it is a business that we know will bounce back in the worst case scenario. Now in the best case scenario where actually things keep charging on, I'll probably do even better because it is a, an attractive looking growth stock. It's capital light. It's got cash on the balance sheet. It's growing anyway. It just announced a new big win. It's going to 
continue to announce wins for the next few years, in my view. It's got a, it says it's had a uh, got a strong sales pipeline as strong as ever. So it's for for me, it's a stock for any uh, okay. any weather. My only regret was that I didn't buy it strong enough and enough of it when it dropped down in March. I did buy some at fourteen dollars seventy. It finally hit that zone where I wanted to buy, but it's my largest position anyway. So that's why I was a bit busy okay. and I should have made it even bigger. Well, that that's the reason for the special today. We're, we're calling it the uh, the preparing for the second chance crash. To uh, as we look back at what we didn't do in March. Uh, your second stock, uh, Ebos Group, what's that? Yeah, so this is um, one that I actually did buy just yesterday, right? So this is one of those ones that I put in a, an order thinking, oh, maybe I'll pick up some more, and I got it. And this is a stock that I have often owned over the years when I am feeling a little bit conservative, feeling a little bit worried about the direction of markets and indeed the economy at large. So what EBOS does is it's a conglomerate in the pharmacy distribution, retail pharmacy business, plus it owns um, some sort of uh, brands of items such as, you know, special kinds of uh, toothpaste. Uh, Red Seal toothpaste, for example, is just one that I happen to like. But um, it, it's had plenty of ups and downs over the years because it does make acquisitions to grow. And sometimes those have sort of a lumpy effect on earnings as it maybe costs some to process an acquisition and sometimes the synergies don't come through straight away. But you don't have to zoom out very far uh, to see that this has just been a massive growth machine over the last few years. So over over the last two decades, it's increased its earnings per share ninefold. Um, but even since like 2014, its earnings per share is up about 65%. And its earnings multiple in that time has only gone from about 16 trailing to about 22 now, which is pretty standard given the uh, different settings that we face now than in 2016, which mu with much lower interest rates uh, and, and a flight of capital. And it um, is also rather under the radar in Australia because it's dual listed in Australia and New Zealand. But as a result, that means on the ASX, it uh, doesn't have enough liquidity to be in the indices. So it's a big enough company that it should be in the ASX 200, except its shares are, are fairly illiquid. So mm -hmm. it goes under mm -hmm. the radar a bit. You don't you don't hear right. brokers and, and fundies talk about it too much. Yeah, true. Um, and it's got that supply contract with Chemist Warehouse, which we know there's Chemist Warehouses, big ones popping mm. up in pretty much every suburb around town. Claude Walker from A Rich Life. His stock picks, PME, ProMedicus, and EBOS Group, EBO. Have a good weekend, Claude. Thanks a lot. And um, you're listening to or watching a special edition of The Call. We're um, getting talking to our experts with uh, to get some guidance on how to get set for a coming uh, correction of the market if it does occur. And uh, our final guest for the day is our favourite Queenslander, Andrew <laughs> Whelan from Dornbush Partners, joins us from Toowoomba. Uh, Andrew, good, good to see you. And look, have you got a flanny on? That's very Queensland for a weekend. Down. He's usually very dressed up. <laughs> So, oh, come on, it's the weekend. The, I know. The direction, was, the direction was being your PJs, and I don't want to put anybody through that. <laughs> uh, that uh, this was a happy compromise. Yeah, yeah, good on you, mate. Andrew, what do you make of the week that was? It was a return of volatility, return of selling to end the week. Um, yeah, how has that sort of affected or impacted uh, your psyche, your thoughts about uh, where we're headed? 
Yeah, it's an interesting question, Nadine. And if you have a look at it, just sort of March 23, we bottomed and then it just basically did this for six weeks and it just can't keep doing that. It, it had to pull back at some stage. Even if you are in the V-shaped recovery uh, crowd, then it needed a breather. And I think that's what we had. I guess, though, really, it's now just is this sort of the beginning of... Uh, the next leg down, is this the W or is this more 2009 where, if you recall, sort of dropped about 7%, sort of uh, stabilised and then onwards and upwards from there. I guess we're probably still more in the recovery camp. We're certainly not in, in sort of complete bear mode, but equally so, I think, like a lot of other investors, uh, you know, we certainly didn't jump on the bandwagon on the 23rd of March and therefore we probably haven't performed as strongly, but equally so clients... Uh, haven't lost a heap of money either. It's really now, to Koshi's earlier point, you know, if it does pull back, having that shopping list ready so that you say, well, we think we know what the bottom is. What are some of the quality stocks that we get a second bite at the cherry to be buying? Yeah, and you've often mentioned on the call that you have your shopping list and, you know, don't be afraid afraid to to get involved in in a stock as long as you have your list. And then if it keeps going down, you can average down if it's a good quality. Yeah, you just, you know, to use some technical finance parlance, you nibble away. Yep. You just keep on uh, nibbling away at it. And, you know, like, I'm, I'm not oh, sorry, I haven't watched this morning. I've literally just come back from uh, from walking the beautiful trails here in Toowoomba. Oh, um, here we but, go. <laughs> I had to get it in. Uh, But, you know, CSL, as an example, is one of those quality companies where if I had to keep paying less for it, I'd frankly be really happy about that in the short term because it's just a magic business. So as long as you are comfortable, thank you, there's one we prepared earlier, as long as you are happy with the company that you're buying perversely, you should be really happy that it keeps falling because it's giving you that opportunity to get get set. I mean, Nadine and Koshi, it's a really interesting mindset with investors. We get upset when good stuff is cheap, but we love it when it gets expensive. Mm -hmm. It makes no sense. So uh, if I could be picking up CSL back in those 253s, I think the bottom about at March the 23rd, happy days. Yeah, And and it's been a bit weaker the last couple of weeks, testing that 280 level, um, dipped below it and then rebounded strongly. And it seems as though it has a fair bit of support around 280. Oh, it's got a couple of issues in the short term. US dollar earnings isn't helping it, given the sort of where we've seen that the yeah. dollar. And I note some comments suggesting we could go back to 72 cents, bearing in mind just six weeks ago, it got to 55. Yeah. So certainly that's a, a bit of a challenge for it. I guess the other thing, though, is more just the sector in which it's in, which is around the defensive nature of it. So if things are going uh, to bother, if I can use a family-friendly term, um, <laughs> then what you're doing is you're buying your consumer staples, your woolies, your healthcare, your CSL. But when everyone's on the up and up, it's the recovery story, as uh, Henry Jennings uh, calls it, you know, those recovery stories, the travel uh, all that sort of stuff. Well, people are selling off your defensives. And so the last six weeks, you know, why would you hold CSL when you can be buying Webjet or Flight Center yeah. or Qantas or whatever those other rockets that were flying along? Yeah. I'm curious, though, because if we're talking about uh, the potential for another pullback, the potential for another correction, I mean, do you look to also uh, fortify your clients against all of the uncertainty that comes with that, all the volatility that comes with that as well? 
Yeah, Nadine, so really it's just coming to having that diversified portfolio. So 23 years on the tools, you know, if you haven't learned something by now, you probably shouldn't uh, be on in, in, on the job anymore. And if, if you take nothing else away from this morning, it's really around having that diversified portfolio. So whether in fact it's having, you know, your, your favourite direct Australian shares or you know, I guess the, the tack that we've probably taken at Dornbush the last couple of years is throwing ETFs into the mix and you can actually have some defensive ETFs so things like bonds, things like fixed interest, things like cash, you can have a cash ETF. Uh, we've been using gold a lot, GOLD is sort of our preferred uh, tool of choice in that regard. There is another one, PM Gold, which is the Perth Mint, but we prefer GOLD. And by having that diversified portfolio, again, not trying to turn this into an ad, but you know, the average share portfolio fell 35% during that little sort of uh, incident we just had sort of February, March our averaged uh, portfolio fell by around 12%. And the reason wow. it didn't fall so much is because we had those things like IAF, VIF, and as you've got up on the screen there, gold. Gold's mm. been a cracker. You know, we were buying it at 170, And even though it's pulled back a little bit, we're still in the 220s, 230s. And with the government madly uh, printing money, trying to yeah. reinflate the economy, uh, you certainly should be thinking about some gold. As you and I were talking about yesterday, Koshi, the real question isn't isn't so much should you have gold, it's, you know, do you have a passive tool like gold, G-O-L-D, or do you take a more leveraged approach? And what were some of the ones we were talking about yesterday? There was Regis and... Yeah, um, Evolution, was, uh, Northern, Northern Star. Yep. Yeah, Newcrest, you know, whatever yep. floats your boat. But, you know, what you're then playing with is management, which Adam Dawes was really strong on. Uh, you're playing with dividend policy, you're playing cost of production. So that's why we're saying it's a leverage play. We prefer not to play in that particular space. We would prefer to say, look, you know, we just want to have a defensive asset and a passive asset. Let's go for gold. Okay. All right, Andrew, we'll uh, let you enjoy the uh, the fruits of Toowoomba <laughs> for the weekend. Really appreciate your time. Thanks, Andrew. Good to Very see much. you again. He's a great fellow, isn't he? That was, was a good a really hour. Good guy. It was a really good hour. Hopefully that has set you up for any market weakness going forward. It's all about getting that list together. It's important to have it, given what happened last week, given what happened overnight in the US, there's a lot more volatility and hopefully bargains to come. Yeah, and the consensus was that we'll, yeah. see, we'll continue to see this reckoning as this pandemic washes through all the different asset classes. Listen, if there's any stocks you'd like us to cover on the show next week, us being you, Kashi, yep. you can email us to the call at ausbiz.com.au. You can always tweet us as well at TV. Yep. So that's it for us this morning. Stick around. Capital 2020 is next.